Welcome to Victory with Paul Doherty, pastor of Victory in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services. Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Pastor Paul has a great message for you today, and I believe this message is going to make an impact in your life. Well, the word of the Lord today is the breeding ground for revival. The breeding ground for revival. Where does revival start? How does it start? And if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We get excited about the Word of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And um, this is the, the breeding ground for revival. Where does it start? Last week we talked about how if, if I was to go on Google Maps and ask, you know, Google Maps or ask Siri, how do I get to revival? The first step, the first road towards revival is repentance. We talked about last week that repentance is not a bad thing, it's a beautiful thing. That a lot of churches and pastors are shying away from talking about repentance because they don't want people to feel condemned. But repentance is not condemnation. Repentance is an invitation to the grace of God. Repentance is the pathway towards God's mercy. God's mercy woke up before you woke up this morning, just waiting for you to receive it. And how, how, how bad would it be to be in a marriage and you only say, I love you once? Or you only say I'm sorry for all the mistakes you make throughout the entire marriage one time. So I'm sorry, that counts for past, present, and future mistakes I make. No, there's this thing in relationship where you've got to come in humility where you miss it and the great news is God is ready to forgive you. So repentance is the pathway towards revival, recognizing that we need God's mercy, that we want God's life inside of us. But what's the next step after repentance? Where do we go from there? Today, that's what I wanna talk about. In Acts chapter two, Verse one, it says, when the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was 50 days after the resurrection. So we're getting ready to celebrate Easter in about five weeks. I'm so excited for the Easter production that's gonna happen here. And, uh, and make sure you invite all your friends and family members for that weekend. But Pentecost was 50 days later. So all the disciples had been waiting for something to happen. They were waiting for revival. They were ready for it. And it says they were all in one accord in one place. Now, they weren't talking about a Honda Accord. It was a preacher joke, Bible joke. Not that funny. It's all good. But they were in unity. They were together. They, it doesn't even say they were praying. It doesn't even say they were reading the Bible. Just as they were together, they were in unity. Everybody say unity. Now, the words breeding ground, you might be wondering, what is breeding ground? The breeding ground for revival. Breeding ground is a phrase that's used as, as something that fosters the growth or the development of something. So scientists have said that the Gulf of Mexico is the breeding ground for revivals, uh, not revivals, for hurricanes. <laughs> and we bind those hurricanes in Jesus' name. People have said there's certain areas in the Midwest that are literally like breeding grounds, the perfect recipe in spring and fall for tornadoes. We bind those tornadoes in Jesus' name. <clears throat> but I will say this, the breeding ground for revival is unity in the church. The breeding ground for revival, we see in Acts chapter two, what happens after this unified verse is insane. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit shows up, tongues of fire fall on these guys. They start speaking in other languages, speaking in the spirit. 13 different nations in Acts chapter two are represented walking around in Jerusalem near the place where these disciples are praying. There's this 
massive wind that just blows into the room and these guys will start prophesying the wonders and miracles of God in other languages and the people that are out there in the streets, they hear the word of God being preached in their own language, their own tongue. And then they come in there and they think, man, these guys must be drunk. And Peter gets up and he goes, no, we're not drunk. Peter was one of the disciples. He said, in fact, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter preaches a message. And in that short little message, 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus. That's amazing. Next thing that happens, miracles start happening. Signs and wonders. Like, God does amazing things and it flows from unity. And you might say, well, yeah, unity is only in the first scripture. But the end of this chapter ends with greater unity than the, even the first verse. That at the end of chapter 2, watch what happens in verse 42. All the believers continued steadfastly together in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayer. So all those people that just got saved, those thousands of believers, they started hanging out together. Everybody say together. It says after that that they devoted themselves. They, they listened to each other. Verse 43, that they continually daily in one accord. Verse 46, let's go there. They continually daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And I know you might be wondering, what does this have to do with revival? I believe revival thrives on relationships. If revival's gonna spread, it's gotta spread through people that are united together. Think about it, if revival was to hit this 11 a.m. service, how would it get to the other services? It would spread through you. How would it get to our city? It would spread through you, through the people that you talk to, the people that you know. Guess what God's doing? As you start to pray for people, connect with people, revival spreads through relationships, and the breeding ground for revival is unity in the church. Last week, we talked about one of the biggest obstacles to revival is sin. But one of the biggest sins that we don't recognize as a sin is division. Guys, Satan knows that revival is on the brink in this nation, and that's why there's so much divisiveness in our nation right now. That's why there's such an attack on the church to be divided, to be at odds with each other, because when we are united, we are unstoppable against the darkness. We are unstoppable against the devil, but we must contend for unity. I wanna show you real quickly a video of what happens when a church is united and how revival can break out in that spirit of unity. Check this out. Jesus never met a person he didn't love. He leapt over walls of prejudice, building relationships with estranged tax collectors, outcast lepers, unclean sinners, half-breed Samaritans, and even self-righteous Pharisees. It was a foretaste of Pentecost, the birth of the church, when 3,000 people from 13 nationalities were saved in one day. Soon, non-Jewish Gentiles were engrafted in. People from every race and nation are now part of God's family. Of all the moves of God since Pentecost, church leaders and historians consider the 1904 Welsh Revival and subsequent 1906 Azusa Street Revival the greatest church reviving and culture-transforming awakenings in history. 5% of the population of Wales was converted within a year. Millions more were saved all over the world. A year later, the city of Los Angeles saw a sovereign outpouring of God's spirit on a street named Azusa. Within days of an earthquake and fire consuming much of San Francisco in 1906, tremors rocked LA. They served as a catalyst for the fire to fall from heaven, consuming the hearts of believers. Today, 600 million Charismatics and Pentecostals trace their roots back to this revival. God's choices often seem unlikely. In Wales, 
a 26-year-old coal miner with no formal education, spearheaded the Welsh Revival. In Los Angeles, California, William Seymour, a one-eyed son of former slaves, led the Azusa Street Revival. With scars on his face from smallpox and wounds on his soul from discrimination, Seymour transcended racial, denominational, and socioeconomic barriers. Throughout the history of the church, relationships have been the centerpiece of Earth's greatest spiritual battles. The devil attacks who God is, love. Broken relationships are therefore the breeding ground for division. Lack of unity within God's family has always been the biggest kingdom killer. Initially, in each of these revivals, there was a groundswell of agreement. But in time, jealousy and division would erode this unity. Today, most of the buildings that house the Great Welsh Revival lie empty. Likewise, the Azusa meetings, which began with such a diversity of African-Americans, Hispanics, and whites in attendance, within a decade had reverted back to segregated churches. Yet, the prayer of Jesus to his Father in John 17 still cries out to be answered. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. God has placed this secret of unity in your city as well. It's called the body of Christ. Like the mother load gold found near Sacramento 170 years ago, it will cost much to mine kingdom relationships. But if we are willing to love like Jesus loved, we can see breaches healed, communities united, and bridges of healing and hope built across every relational divide. If there were a move of God in your city, what responsibility would you have? What relationships would God the Father want you to heal and restore? Man, that's a good word right there, church. If there was a move of God in this city, in this church, and there is a move of God, and it's coming, ready or not, it's here. This is revival, it's coming. But what would your personal responsibility be? See, you can't put it all on the pastor, on volunteers or staff members to stir up that revival. All of us have a part to play. This last week, I went to go and watch our Victory Christian School boys play in the semifinal state championship 3A basketball game. Give them a big hand. They had a great season. And my wife and I, our two little boys, we were watching the game. And man, I was reliving the glory days in my head. I was like, I want to get out on the court. I want to play. Give me the ball. Let me shoot a three. Let me dunk the basketball. I've never been able to dunk it out here, but I've always been able to dunk it in here. <laughs> it's the battle of the mind. Um, but I wanted, to, I wanted to participate. I couldn't because I'm, I'm not in high school anymore. And, but yet, here's what I heard God saying. So many people in the church, they're coming like it's the basketball game at high school. Like they're just there to spectate. But I want them to get on the court because every week the church is invited to participate in what God wants to do in this church, in this city, in the world. That God didn't call you to sit on the sidelines and be a spectator. God called you to be a disciple, fully devoted to Christ, participating, engaging in bringing revival to the city. And what does that look like? That looks like reconciling relationships that are broken. That division is the, the hindrance that blocks revival. Like if God's up in heaven and there's this big tube from heaven to earth and he's trying to send revival down that tube to the church, to that city of Tulsa. And there's been prophecies over the city that revival's gonna hit Tulsa like never before. And it's gonna spread from this city to the United States of America. And I'm, I'm ready for it. Like, I don't wanna wait 40 years. I don't wanna wait till I turn 50 or 60 to see it. I wanna see it when I'm 31. I wanna see it right now. 
but that tube that God's trying to send revival, like the breath of God, he's trying to breathe on this city, on this church. You know what clogs up that tube more than, more than anything? I mean, it's sin, but it's division too. It's that divisiveness, it's that strife, it's that broken relationships, those easel, easily being offended and irritated at each other. When you look at the New Testament and the church and the book of Acts, it goes on chapter after chapter that they were in one accord. They were united. They were breaking bread together. They were meeting in each other's homes. That's what God wants to see here because you cannot have unity without community. You cannot have unity without community. So it begins with us building a community. I shared uh, last week that I had been in Brazil just a few weeks ago, and I know our seniors are getting ready to head to Brazil, and, and I'm so excited. But when I was there, there was revival breaking out in this church. And it was a church of about 1,500, 2,000 people, and there was just this excitement, this electricity in the room. People were repenting, and people were crying out for more of God, and inviting their lost neighbors and friends to get saved and people were getting healed and people were getting saved right there it was powerful but something else was happening and I couldn't figure it out right in that moment but my friend Daniel came with me because I never travel alone and so Daniel Henshaw was with me we've grown up together going on missions and we were talking about it processing it at the end at the end of the trip and he said did you notice the unusual camaraderie in the church the unusual unity like people were giving each other fist bumps and chest bumps and nicknames and refrigerator rights. And, and there was this excitement and there was this passion and there was this craziness and this laughter going on. And people didn't want to leave after church. They wanted to linger. They wanted to talk. They wanted to tell each other stories and catch up on life. They actually really loved each other. And Jesus said in the book of John that the, the church that's spreading revival, they will be marked by their love for one another. When you look in the New Testament, there's a whole lot of one another's, one another's, love one another, be kind to one another, encourage one another, meet with one another, spur one another on in, in acts of kindness, worship together with one another. You know what it doesn't say in the Bible? It doesn't say tolerate one another, ignore one another. No, no, the cause that God's called us to be part of, it's the greatest cause in the world. It's an invitation to community a community of believers that are passionately committed to Christ and passionately committed to each other. And when there's that unusual unity, man, we are on the breeding ground for revival. I'm telling you, it's just around the corner. When you look in Acts 3, people start getting healed because of relationships being united. Acts chapter 4, the place shakes. Boldness comes on the disciples as they're all in one accord. They go out and preach the gospel. More miracles happen. I'll never forget when I was on a mission trip and I was, I think, 16 years old, and we were in this other country, and we were praying for God to do mighty miracles. We were praying for people to get saved, and nothing was happening, and we couldn't figure it out. It was like everywhere we went, it just felt like there was, it was dead. It just felt like nothing was happening, and finally, halfway through the trip, our leaders pulled us all together, and they said, we need to repent because there's been strife behind the scenes with some of the missionaries and some of the leaders and I think we're ignorant to think that as Christians, there's never gonna be opportunity for strife, right? <laughs> like, it's gonna happen. When you start praying for revival, you become a target to the enemy and he starts trying to plant seeds of divisiveness and offense and frustration. That's good, that means you're moving in the right direction, but now don't get caught up in that strife. Don't let it take over. What had happened is there was strife behind the scenes. We didn't even know about it. The team was unaware. 
they start repenting, then we start looking at each other, hugging one another. People on the team had fights with each other. There was strife. After that night, man, there was a lot of tears. We hung out right there. We got things right with God and right with each other. And when we did the rest of that trip, miracles broke out, salvations broke out. Don't miss this lesson, guys. You're about to go on missions this week. Don't let strife build up in your teams. Don't miss this lesson, church. Don't let strife build up in your home. If you want revival to happen in your house, it will not happen when there's division in the house. A divided house cannot stand. There has to be unity. So how do we get unity? Number one, I'm gonna give you three quick points. Number one, we've gotta be committed to the cause of Christ. Be committed to the cause of Christ. There's a lot of causes floating around out there. But this is the greatest cause to be a part of. I don't wanna be a part of a cause that's different than the cause of Christ. The cause of Republicans, the cause of Democrats, the cause of, uh, uh, the cause of America, the cause of the economy, the cause of this generation. I wanna be a part of the cause of Christ, man. What's the cause of Christ? You might be wondering, well, what was Christ's cause? What was he about? He was about loving God and loving people. People ask Jesus, Jesus, what's, what, what are we supposed to do? What are followers of Jesus supposed to look like? They're supposed to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbor as themselves, period. And which neighbors? The ones we get along with? The ones that look just like us? The ones that have the same color of skin as us? No, your neighbor is every single person you come into contact with. Rich or poor, black or white, Asian, Hispanic, no matter what the background is, God's called us to be united together. Be marked with love. Be committed to the cause of Christ. The cause of Christ is to be in a community. Jesus didn't call a bunch of Christians to be independent from each other. He called us to be interdependent. Did you know in America, George Barna, he did a research here that 92% of Americans proudly claim to be independent. That it's like a virtue in our country. I want to be independent. I want to be financially independent. I want to be professionally independent. I'm a self-made businesswoman. I'm a self-made businessman. I'm a self-made, you know, whatever it is that, that, that's your career. But when it comes to spiritual matters, God doesn't want us to be independent. He wants us to lean on each other. He wants us to have relationships. He wants us to be connected with each other. That is the cause of Christ, to love God, love people. And here's the second point right here. Be committed to a community of believers. God wants us to, if we're gonna build unity, you can't build unity without a community. So you've gotta be committed to a community of believers. And here's my question, why not this community? You're already here. Why not this community? Why not join this community? Why not move from being a spectator to start being a participator in this community? I need your help. If revival spreads through relationships and the breeding ground for revival is unity and you can't have unity without a community, I need you to help build a community right here. I'm asking you to be committed to, to this community or if it's not gonna be this community, please be committed to a community. Don't be a floating Christian that chooses a new church every Sunday. You're not building the kingdom of God. You're just feeding off of every single place you go to and not contributing anywhere. Be committed to a community. I know that was kind of tough. <laughs> Ephesians chapter two, verse 19 says that we are all no longer aliens or strangers, but we are members of God's household. One version says active members. Everybody say active. God doesn't want us sitting on the sidelines. He wants us engaging with community. 
You know, something I noticed in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and by the way, they, they, they talked about you, Tim and Sandy Redmond, that you guys have been down there, and I was with these pastors, the Rebustinis, and they were commenting about how much they love Victory and how much they love this church, and they said, you know, we get together every week with friends and family, we hang out till like 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, and these are people like in their 60s. I was like, I did that when I was 18 years old. <laughs> I get tired now as a dad, I'm ready to go to sleep at like 9, 9 p.m., <laughs> But they're like, man, community is so important to us in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Like, we love drinking coffee together, hanging out together. We're committed to building community. We are intentionally relational. And see, if you're going to be committed to a community, that means you are committed not to waiting for someone else to invite you out to dinner, but you're going to be intentionally relational. You're going to go and bring people along. We're going to create as many opportunities and avenues to build community in this church because we know it's the breeding ground for revival. One of those opportunities is the Walk It Out outreach. We want you to come on that on March 25th. Let's go love our city and let's do it together. Let's go pull weeds in people's yards and let's do it together. Let's go rake people's yards. Let's go help people out. We're going to adopt a block north, south, east, and west Tulsa. We're going to show this city how much Jesus loves them in the name of Jesus. But it's an opportunity to build community. It's an opportunity to be beside some other men and women, some other teenage guys and girls in this church, and to start building those relationships and be intentionally relational, to move from being independent. By the way, being independent spiritually is distinctly unchristian. God wants us to be in community with one another. Ashley and I, we're always entertaining people at our house, always trying to connect with people in the church, do lunch or do coffee. And we would love to have you guys all over to our house, but we don't have enough room to fit this, this amount of people in our house. And we don't really have the money to pay for all your food, but we can believe for God to multiply the loaves and fishes. But the bottom line is this, while we can't do it for everyone, everyone can do it for someone. And if everyone does it for someone, then everyone will be part of the community. If we each took personal responsibility, say, you know what? Let's go to Mazio's after church. You know what? Let's go, let's go to Qdoba. Hey, hey, this week, let's get together. Let's play some basketball. Let's get together. Let's play cards together. Come over to my house. Let's have coffee this week. Let's be intentionally relational. Here's the third and last point right here. Be committed to keeping the unity in this community. Be committed to keeping the unity in this community. So number one, be committed to the cause of Christ. Number two, be committed to a community of believers. And number three, be committed to keeping the unity in this community. Everybody say, we are strife stoppers. We are peacemakers. We are bridge builders. See, if we took that mindset and we decided, you know what, I'm going to contend for unity in this community, that I'm gonna shut down strife. I am gonna stop stupid rumors. I'm going to stop gossip, and man, I am going to stir up the unity in this community. I'm not just going to be on the defensive side. I'm going to be on the offensive side. I'm going to look for ways to build unity in this community. So what would that look like? What would that look like, and how would that change things? First off, unity is selfless. It's thinking of others before thinking of yourself. Unity is going out of your way instead of waiting for someone else to come and invite you into their community, you are initiating the invitation. Don't wait, initiate. Everybody say, don't wait, initiate. So as believers, we've gotta 
decide, you know what, I'm gonna be selfless. I'm gonna look for ways to build the community here, to build unity. If revival is waiting on a church that's unified, if God is just waiting for a church to get united, then I'm gonna be a part of selflessly building that unity in this church, building that community in this church. So unity is selfless. Secondly, unity is having fun together. Guys, revival is not about looking super serious and mad all the time, like, <laughs> revival. Guys, the world doesn't wanna be around people that just look mad and angry and super serious all the time. The world is looking for a church that has unusual camaraderie, that has unusual laughter, unusual joy. I'll never forget being on a mission trip. We were in China and we were laughing together. Man, we were, we, were, I, we were singing songs together. Each of us was taking, a, t taking turns singing songs. We were having rap battles together. And I was rapping. I was like, give me three words. They were like, alligator, elevator, and chairs. I was like, alligator, alligator, elevator, elevator, chair, 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 chair. They're like, that's not a rap, bro. That's not, doesn't even rhyme. I was like. But it was crazy, it was funny, it was ridiculous. We were laughing, and guess what? You're like, that's not spiritual. Nobody likes that. Everybody likes that. <laughs> there was this girl, it was an atheist. She was right next to us on the subway. We weren't in, we weren't in Beijing, we had just left Beijing, we were in Hong Kong. She was right next to us on the subway. And she goes, you guys are having so much fun together. Who are you guys? I said, we're Christian. She was like, whoa, I've never seen Christians like this. She was like, Christians have fun? I was like, yeah, we do. I was like, I'm sorry that you haven't seen that. <laughs> we gotta do a better job, church. God wants us laughing together, enjoying each other, not tolerating each other, but loosening up and man, having a blast. Sunday should be the happiest place on planet Earth in the church. We should be happier than Disneyland. We should be having more fun than any other place you go to. This should be a party. God doesn't want us to be stiff-necked religious Pharisees. He wants us to be disciples that love one another and love each other so much that we're having fun together because that's attractive, attractive spirituality. That's attractive Christianity. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience with one another. You mean I gotta bear with people who are immature? Yeah. You gotta put up with it because you're immature too. <laughs> Man, we should be known for the fruits of the Spirit. And if the fruits of the Spirit are joy, and if laughter is like medicine, Lord, pour out a revival of laughter on our church. Pour out a revival. Man, make our church the most laughing, joyful church in the world. I was in Victor Christian School last week. I said, what would revival look like? And one young boy spoke up, and it brought me to tears. He said, revival would look like joy and laughter. And I didn't know, man, but... He's walking through a tough situation at home with one of his uh, family members who's sick. And it's, it's been hurting in his heart, his mind, his emotions. I mentioned this earlier that we're in a generation right now that takes more antidepressants than any other generation. So much anxiety, so much stress. This world needs a revival of joy. It needs a revival of laughter. 
We got to break the spirit of depression off America. Break the spirit of depression off 30 and under. And guys, it starts with you having fun together. I'm not even asking you to get together and have Bible studies. I think that'll flow out of this. I'm asking you to get together and laugh. Get together, open your homes, go out for coffee, go see movies together, build community, because unity cannot happen without community. We've gotta have a strong community. There's gotta be that community. All right, unity is trusting each other. You can't build unity without trust. Eric, I need some help real quick. A couple of big, strong guys. I wanna show you what it looks like to trust people. Can you guys maybe stand like right, right here? Have you guys ever heard of the trust fall? All right, so the trust fall is when, when you're standing up a little bit higher and you decide to just fall backwards and you're hoping people are gonna be like, oh, they're on that side. <laughs> you fall backwards hoping they're going to catch you. There's this trust. But I wanna show you a little bit further than a trust fall. I wanna show you a trust running fall. You guys ready for this? <laughs> you guys better catch me. If you drop me, this illustration has just gone. <laughs> We're gonna have to edit this out of TV. All right, you guys ready for this? <laughs> All right, here we go. This is a trust running fall right here. I am trusting them to catch me. I am stepping out on a branch. This is a vulnerable thing. Let me preach on this just for a second. <laughs> anytime, anytime you build relationships in the church, it's always gonna be a risk. Say, Paul, what if they betray my trust? What if I build these great relationships and then they move and they go somewhere else and, and I invested all that time? It's worth it. It's worth living your life in relationships with other believers, taking the risk, trusting other people. You can't have unity without trust. And it's time for us to forgive some people who've betrayed our trust so that we can learn to trust again. You ready for this running trust fall? All right, all right, all right, here we go. I hope I don't hurt anybody. Come on, give these guys a big hand. Wow. I've never done that before. We didn't practice that. <laughs> There's a few people in my life that I trust them so much they know where the hidden key is to get into my house. They can come in, they have refrigerator rights. They don't even have to ask me. They can go to that fridge, they can get some Coca-Cola, they can get some ham or turkey and make themselves a sandwich. And guys, God wants us to be in such a strong community with each other that there's this trust with one another that we can open up and talk to each other which leads me to my next point. Unity is being real with each other. Unity creates space to be real with other believers. Unusual camaraderie is not an accident in a church. It happens with people who are intentionally relational. Anybody wanna see some unusual unity in this church? Where people just are like, oh my goodness, they are so unified. When the world sees that, telling you revival spreads from the church to the streets of Tulsa to the streets of New Orleans to the streets of Chicago to the streets of Detroit revival happens through a church that's so unified I'll never forget being in a meeting 
where I was having a tough week and the guys around me, they were like asking each other, how you doing, how you doing, how you doing? And they got to me, they were like, how you doing, Paul? And I had an opportunity right there to say, too blessed to be stressed. Doing great, man. All is well. Two thumbs up. Life is awesome. But I just had to be real. I said, man, it has been a tough week. I don't care how long you've been saved. All of us have tough weeks sometimes, tough days. <laughs> and I just said, it's been tough. And you know what they did? They came around me. They surrounded me. They said, let's pray for Paul. Put their hands on my shoulder. Put their hands on my head. Man, I just experienced God's peace, God's love, God's comfort through my brothers. I've been in other meetings where nobody said anything. How you doing? Good. What's going on in your life? Nothing. And it's like people are just, they're, they're not willing to open up and be real. But when one person gets transparent, when transparency enters the room, it opens the doors for other people to be transparent. And I've watched it happen in circles, in rooms, in missions trips, where somebody opens up and says, man, I'm really struggling with this fear, with this insecurity. I'm really having a hard time with this. And all of a sudden, other people start opening up. I need prayer too. I need God's help. This is why at the altars here at Victory, man, we don't judge. We want people to experience God's healing and presence. And we want God to do something real in your life. And when you get real with God, God gets real in you. Some of you guys saw the video testimony of our friends, Chad and Stacy King. Last year, their marriage was hanging by a thread about to get divorced. There was so much hostility and, and, and hatred and, and, and intense just unforgiveness between Chad and Stacy. And I went to college with Chad. I was friends with him. We were on the same dormitory. We used to play basketball intramurals with each other. And had Chad been the kind of guy that goes, I can't tell Paul that. I can't tell church guys that. They're gonna judge me. They're gonna hate me. They're, they're not gonna listen to me. They're gonna preach at me. But instead, Chad trusted me. He called me, said, Paul, would you pray for me and Stacy? We need a revival in our marriage. We need a miracle in our marriage. Man, I just cried. The Bible says weep with those who weep. Laugh with those who laugh. Celebrate with those who are celebrating. Sympathize with those that are going through pain. That's what God wants us to be. See, if Eric and I were mad at each other and got into a disagreement, we could fight like this, and man, we would stop the flow of revival. But if instead we decided, Ephesians 4 verse 3 says, make the effort to keep the unity of peace by binding yourselves together in peace. Instead of fighting, we bind ourselves together and we have each other's backs. And now we're watching out for each other. And now we're fighting against the enemy of darkness instead of fighting with our brothers and sisters. That's what God wants us to do. So me and a couple of brothers and Daniel and some others, we went over to Chad's house. We didn't preach at him. We didn't lecture him. We just stood beside him. We said, we are with you, Chad. We are praying for you. We are in agreement for what God has spoken in your heart. We prayed for his house. God did a miracle in Chad and Stacy's marriage. Man, they are happier than they've ever been. They've been seeing God do amazing things in the relationship, healing and restoration. But it overflowed from unity. And unity doesn't happen without community. And community doesn't happen without intentional, relationally-minded people. People that say, I'm going to get out of my hermit crab, always staying by myself, independent mindset, and I'm going to be intentionally relational in this church. And I'm going to get over the awkwardness and invite people to get together. 
break bread in our house, drink coffee together, go out for lunch, play basketball together, and I'm going to open up and be honest and be transparent. I'm gonna encourage others and I'm gonna lift others up. Unity is encouraging one another, lifting each other up. Unity isn't kicking each other when we're down. Unity isn't friendly fire. Unity is coming together. I see my, my friend, my brother, Brian Neer over here. Incredible artist, incredible singer. When Tulsa had a shooting happen last September that could have sparked a whole lot of division in our city, could have sparked a whole lot of hatred in our city. A lot of people came together and started praying, praying for our nation, praying for revival. And I remember Brian called people together to the Reconciliation Park in downtown Tulsa, and I was there. In fact, we got some pictures there. There's my son Liam in the water there, but we all were holding hands and just singing songs and praying and just speaking peace. And did you know the news did a story on Tulsa during that time? That while, while other cities were in riots and in, in chaos and in anger and hatred, that this city had a peaceful revival happening in this city because brothers and sisters were sympathizing with each other, praying together, uniting in love. Psalm 133 says, where there is unity among the brothers and sisters. Some of you might've missed this story, but I shared it last week. My niece, Ziva, one and a half years old, this last summer she died and it looked really bad. I was there when it happened. It was a, a crazy situation that she wandered away from all of us adults and she fell into a pool and we found her and, and, and when we pulled her out, man, it was just this agony, this terror. And we began to pray and began to cry and for two and a half minutes, nothing changed. Her body was blue. But around two and a half minutes, all of a sudden, as we were doing CPR, she started coughing up water and she came back to life. My niece is alive and well, and she's healthy, and she's whole, and she's praising God. Last week, she was, she was on my sister's Instagram video just singing worship songs. And I go, oh my goodness, that's the girl that it looked like it was all over for her. But God had another plan. And I tell you that story because we serve a God who brings the dead things back to life. We serve a God of resurrection power. And whatever in your life, maybe your joy feels dead. Maybe your heart feels dead. Maybe your relationship looks dead. Maybe there's something in your life that looks hopeless. I wanna just speak this to you right now. In Jesus' name, I speak resurrection, life, that the God, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives and dwells in each person that speaks the name of Jesus and puts their faith in Jesus. Lord, I pray for unusual unity in this church. I pray for unusual camaraderie in this church. God, I pray, Lord, for beautiful relationships to flourish this year in this church that overflow with just amazing discipleship that takes place in this church. God, that we would be devoted to one another, building each other up, helping make disciples, encouraging one another, loving one another, forgiving one another, making allowance for each other's faults and Lord, running to each other, lifting each other up, not kicking each other when they're down, but God, being a friend. Lord, I thank you for miracles and salvations to flow as unity grows in this church. Revival, Lord, will happen as we contend for the unity 
in this church and the churches across this city. Thank you for listening to Victory with Paul Doherty. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services. Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Remember, your best days are right in front of you.